we had around um, the uh, question of the denomination. And uh, the main, uh, one of the, some of the basic questions were, what are the, what's the, what is the Presbyterian Church? You know, how did we get here? Um, what is our history? What are our core theological um, points that we uh, affirm? And thought, that's uh, no better way than to look at the basics. And um, this uh, is, we've, uh, so there'll be some folks here who've been here for a long time, and there's some folks who are just uh, looking, um, considering uh, the, the church, wanting to understand what a College Hill Presbyterian Church is. And so um, there's a great diversity of folks that are in this particular class. And what you'll see is we'll, we're going to take uh, about three um, Sundays and look at history, um, look at from the Pentecost uh, on to uh, where we are today. We'll take a couple weeks and look at the, the core um, essence of theology for as a Presbyterian church of understanding Reformed theology. And then uh, the sixth week we'll look at polity, which is a fancy way of saying how we organized. And then class seven, we'll take a look at the hot topic of the day, uh, human sexuality through the lens of history, theology, and polity. And then class eight will be one where things that, particular questions that uh, we want to address at length, um, Phil will uh, we'll do that. Um, we'll have uh, throughout um, the uh, week, we'll have uh, little uh, red cards or other cards on the red today on your table. If, you, if you've got questions that you want to uh, um, us to address, then and it's probably something that takes a little more than a, a quick answer. Um, be sure to give those to Jan uh, Johnson and uh, she'll uh, collect those and we'll um, look at those. Either we'll work them in as we move forward if we see how they fit or we'll address them on that last, that last class. That gives you an overview of where we are going. Um, I also want to note there's a, a number of uh, um, resources up here uh, that you're free to look at. These two... Anyone can have and take it if you need. They're uh, just, at, in my opinion, at the right level for us to enjoy. Um, they don't won't cause any major headaches or anything like that. But again, give us a little bit of a, an overview. One is the history of the Presbyterian Church, and the other is the essence of what, about being Presbyterian. A little more general, but certainly give us a uh, real good idea um, of some of the questions that we're um, looking at in terms of what the basics are. 
the last thing uh, that I wanted to do was, uh, you should have a little timeline here, um, and uh, we're, uh, it's not to scale, so don't uh, get out your rulers or um, slide rules or protractors or whatever, um, but at least it gives you a little bit of an idea of how things fit in the scheme of uh, the uh, last you know, four or five thousand years in terms of the history of the church. And you can see we start with Adam um, sometime well before 2000 BC and then work our way up through the Old Testament to Pentecost, which is 30 AD, which is where I think Scott and Barbara are going to start today. Is that correct? Yep. And then work through and they'll touch on some of these um, and then they'll add other ones to them. But major councils in the decision of the Christian church in Nicaea and in um, Chalcedon. Uh, the east-west splits, which was uh, around 1291 or so, is actually the official split between the Eastern Orthodox Church and the Roman Catholic Church. And that actually was the first split of the church, and for me, it wasn't until seminary that I even really knew there was such a thing as Eastern Church, and those, what the Orthodox um, churches are. But that is a, a major mark in the history of the church, and then we'll get into some of these other folks, um, the, from John Wycliffe all the way up to Francis uh, McAmee, these next uh, couple um, Sundays, because uh, Francis was the, like really sort of the founder of the Presbyterian Church in the United States. There's a couple chairs still up here, a couple single chairs up here. If y'all want to come um, and the uh, sit at the table, and I believe every uh, um, you're also having to distribute a basic outline for what. Uh, Barbara and Scott are going to lead us uh, through um, today and next Sunday. Barbara, if you want to, there's a there's chair up here or over there. Feel free, sure. Over here. I'll start the other Barbara. All right. So Barbara and Scott, y'all are uh, roll. All yours. And again, feel free to grab one of these on your way out or to come take a look at these other uh, um, books that are just a little more in-depth in terms of history of the church in general and history of the Presbyterian church. Excuse me. One other thing. We are going to uh, take these uh, classes. So if you miss one, you want to pick it up, then we'll be able to either put it on CD or um, give it to you on MP3 if uh, you're so interested. That's going to be a little high, I think. Is that better? Thank you, dear. Well, sorts of service. Welcome, everybody. I'm so glad you're here because we have some exciting things to talk about today. And I'm going to talk a little while, and then Scott's going to talk a little while. Then I'm going to talk again, and Scott's going to talk again. So we'll keep going back and forth, back and forth. And I passed out to each table something that looks like this. But it's got three labels and three things. Three slides. Is everybody has them? 
Is there anyone who needs one? Do you need one? I think there are more. Look on your table, see if there's some extras. Okay. Basic matters.
Even today, the Vikings, the Vikings, the uh, people who live in the Middle East do not like to think about the Crusades. We had the Vikings. How many people here are Scottish? Irish? Well, probably you could trace your heritages back to these people who came over the seas in their small boats and attacked the shoreline. Then eventually they decided, well, let's just sail a while. And they did. And many of us have descended from them. and the Reformation. When did Columbus discover America? 1492. Right smack into there with the Crusaders. Columbus discovered America. So we have people going out into the world, finding out what was new. Then we had Gutenberg developing the it had already been developed, but he used movable type then to develop it further. Reformers that took place about now, about 1500. We have Wycliffe, or Wycliffe, and he was born in 1330 and died in 13. 84. He was called the Morning Star of the Reformation. He was the first one. He was an Englishman. He was a scholar and philosopher. He was a theologian and he translated the first Bible into English. Under duress, he translated the first Bible into English. He was imprisoned at the university, and I think it was Oxford, but I might be mistaken. He was uh, sent there, and he thought how wonderful to have all these books in order to study from. And then he decided, well, let's translate the Bible. So that was good. Then we got John Huss. And I wonder if Huston is related to John Huss. 
as Presbyterians, we found, we consider our founding around the 1540s when John Calvin uh, aligned um, the doctrine more closely to the Bible as well as church government, we believe. Uh, and it's important um, that he wrote in his institutes that he wrote to the King of France that he was not, and, and the reformers were not trying to leave the history of the church or the uh, traditions, but rather they were uh, taking it back, that it had departed when the Church of Rome uh, instituted its system of redemption that was, uh, they felt, contrary to scripture. So we as Presbyterians cherish all of church history. Uh, that is the parts that, um, until around the 12th century, uh, when Rome went off course. We, so starting that at the apostolic age, when the grace, when the gospel of God's grace was announced, when moving into the uh, first few centuries, and by the way, I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, concentrate more on the history of doctrine, of the teaching of the church, than the, than the exact events. So when the early church teachers were teaching, uh, more or less taught what the Bible said. They, they expressed, they read from the Bible and taught what it said. But over the several centuries, quite deeper questions arose about well, just what is the nature, who is the nature of Christ, what is the nature of Christ, and uh, how are we to think about him? And uh, the, the real controversy that sparked it was uh, uh, when Arius arose, the bishop Arius, and started declaring that Christ was a demigod, a demigod, D-E-M-I-G-O-D, who was a little bit less than God, more than a man, less than God, and when, uh, but he was, uh, there was a time when he was not, that was the language, there was a time when he was not. So this provoked the Council of Nicaea in 325. Nicaea is a little place, uh, a town near Istanbul, where the, the church met, by the way, many, uh, this, this, this controversy engulfed the church and many felt that uh, were, were influenced by this teaching. And so at the council, it was, it was decided that and declared that Jesus Christ was fully God and there was never a time that he was not. He was eternally begotten of the Father is the, is the language. And that is, a, is a, a marker in our history that we we embrace. Uh, and later, in the uh, 425, the, then the church turned its attention to, well, what, what does Christ's humanity mean? And in that council, the Council of Chalcedon, it was decided that Christ was both fully human and fully God, that he was uh, perfectly human, one, uh, two persons united in one nature. And uh, we embrace that as well. So we have, as Protestants, uh, consider those our councils. And we, we say that um, down through the, the ages, we have formulated our understanding of God as saying that he is one in substance, uh, that is one in essence, three in person, equal in power and glory.
that came right down from these councils and it was also embraced by the reformers. And as you know, well, what does that mean to us today? Today that, that formulation and understanding of God is in question by, by many in the church. So bringing it into today's world, we, we're, when we wrestle with our denominational issues, we wrestle, that is part of our, our wrestling, is what, who is God and, and what do we um, subscribe to about his nature. Uh, that, by the way, is one thing that we, we don't share with some other Protestant bodies who, who don't go back to that, that, those times and, and embrace them. They rather say, let's go back to the very start, to the primitive church, and that they pretty much discount all church history. And I don't know if you've ever met Anabaptists or any other church members who really say, yeah, let's go back to the founding, to the, to the very first, because basically the church got it all wrong and, and we can get it right. And we, we don't look at things that way traditionally as Presbyterians. Moving on to uh, something Barbara uh, also alluded to is the, the, the Roman Catholic Church by 1215 had officially made its doctrines uh, about its uh, sacramental system official. That was the Fourth Lateran Council of 1215 in saying that there are now seven sacraments um, and that uh, there's a, a, a way through faith and works to uh, make yourself right with God through following this penitential system of, of uh, uh, first infant baptism, then uh, communion and um, last rites and so forth. You, there, that's a guaranteed way of salvation. And uh, although the, most people had to spend a lot of time in purgatory, to eventually get there, but that led that led to the time of Martin Luther, who was a monk who was very troubled. If you know his, probably most of you know his his story. While well, we're jumping to him, but he was uh, a scholar, informed of the law, very brilliant legal mind, who was so aware of the law of God that he knew uh, he was not keeping it. He knew he whatever he did was doing was not acceptable. He would spend two hours in confession often because he was so aware of the ramifications of each statute and commandment he was not living up to. So he was in quite a, a mess. You know what, I'm sorry I missed my outline and I need to go back to Augustine because he's such an important figure for us and for Luther. So please forgive me and let's jump back a second to now in the 5th century, when once the church's attention had been, uh, and, the, and the person of Christ had been settled, the church turns its attention to the work of redemption and uh, how God worked in our lives. We knew who Christ was in heaven. Now, now how does he relate to us through redemption, salvation, um, the, and the person of the Holy Spirit? It was through the work of Augustine that uh, the church advanced its understanding. And many, I think, call him the greatest theologian the church has had since the apostolic age. And Calvin, now we'll jump back to, to Luther and Calvin's era. Luther and both Calvin, by the way, were Augustinian monks. So they, they were standing on the shoulders of, of Augustine. They were, he was going to um, 
So he was a troubled monk. He was about to teach on Romans, and there he read. Uh, he had his famous tower experience. He came uh, upon the third chapter of Romans and read, But now a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference for all who sin and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. He read these verses and it, it, he reports that the doors of heaven uh, swung open for him. And he was, uh, uh, he was relieved of his guilt, his shame, and he was uh, able to appropriate and realize that it was a righteousness not of his own, but of, that Christ was given to him, a gospel of grace, and um, that made all the difference. It was apart from himself, not something that he could generate. So on that, uh, when he was filled with this, the glory of this, this understanding, he, he was, uh, began to talk about it, and he ran into the, the uh, monk Tetzel, if you re recall that story. The Church of Rome, by now it's about 1415, was building the, um, St. Peter's and they needed a build, building, building program. So they sent all the, um, the fundraisers out. One was a monk named Tetzel. He was in Germany trying to raise money and he was he had a saying, uh, they were collecting in big baskets uh, for every, every time um, every, people were to toss coins in. Every time the bath or the kettle rings, a soul from sort purgatory springs. Have you ever heard that? Okay, well, he was, that, that was the, the catalyst that, that had Luther post the, 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 um, his thesis on the Wittenberg door. And from then the, Re the Reformation spread. We are, that is something we embrace as Presbyterians because it's called the article on which the church stands or falls. Uh, salvation through grace alone because of Christ alone. And I, we think it's the, it's, the, it's the article on which we as people stand or fall. Obviously, we're, are we justified by grace through Jesus Christ? That's a, one of our foundations. And that's, that's where it comes from, of course, from the Bible, ultimately. And that's this come down to us if you've heard of the five solas of Scripture by the authority, and, and this is what we believe. And this was formulated in this time of the Reformation that we are, we take our, uh, our revelation by the authority of Scripture alone, by faith alone, by grace alone, because of Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. And those are the five solas. John Calvin was 26 years uh, junior to Martin uh, to Martin Luther, um, and he was converted to this same gospel of grace when he was about 23 or 24. Uh, he wrote his his he was a brilliant scholar, born in France. Uh, uh, was once he became converted, he began to write. He was he was already a well-renowned scholar. In, uh, trained as a lawyer, um, had gone in into the Augustinian um, order as well. When he he learned of this gospel of God's grace, he started writing his famous Institutes. Uh, and these were not a mere mechanical 
um, dry statements, but were really a testimony to God's grace through the scriptures. So it was written in a different way than some of the dry academic tomes of the other scholars. And it, it was also quickly embraced as the, he was embraced as the theologian of the Reformation. Martin Luther never wrote a systematic theology as, as uh, Calvin did. And what Calvin had done for us as Presbyterians today is twofold. Number one, we in, in our theology reflect his emphasis on God's sovereignty, on his grace, on his glory, that everything begins and ends with God. Um, and we also treasure the... the so, so we, we have values. We, well, let's say we're a section of God's house as Presbyterians, and we treasure the, um, the things that they did. Where It's a direct legacy. We treasure the gospel. Uh, we treasure uh, intellectual inquiry, science, the desire to be involved in commerce, industry, politics, uh, to be engaged with the culture. This also comes down right from that time of, of Calvin and the Reformers as opposed to some Christian traditions, as you know, who, who have um, turned away from engagement with the culture. So that's where uh, we, one distinctive of our room of, of the household of faith is our embrace of culture, or at least engagement with it. And Calvin's other achievement was the formation of the Presbyterian system of government that we uh, now enjoy. Uh, he, Presbyterian strictly, strict, as you probably know, comes to, from the Latin word presbyteros, which is uh, Greek for elder. And he devised, he, um, he saw that in the Bible it was the presbyters who were charged with overseeing and governing the church. Uh, he did not find a warrant for a system where one man or a group of men could lord it over any other uh, people, as in the, the system uh, of the uh, bishops and pope. He, he uh, instituted four types of officers, pastors, teachers, elders, and deacons. And the clergy were to be equal without superior bishops over them. As one side note, he did not uh, categorically deny the uh, authenticity of other traditions. He wrote of uh, Anglican friends, stay in the Anglican church and reform it from within. But he thought, he, we simply thought, and I think we still do, we embrace uh, other uh, forms of government as, as being equal brothers and sisters in Christ. But we think that the uh, Bible teaches the Presbyterian of government as opposed to the other forms. It's the best fit with what the Bible teaches. But we still are partners in hand in hand with, with Anglicans and so forth and congregations. When he died in 1564, the Council of this city, Geneva, gave him the tribute that God gave him the character of great majesty. So Calvin uh, holds a special place for us. As going into what happened then, Presbyterians, um, Presbyterianism spread on the continent into France, Czechoslovakia, France, Germany, Hungary, but it took its deepest root and had its greatest influence in England, Scotland, uh, the Netherlands, and America. 
now, for 300 years, Scotland has been the center of Presbyterianism in Europe, but uh, it's very strong in America as well, of course. When our figure there, uh, historic figure, is John Knox. Perhaps you've heard of him. He was of Calvin's era. He was a, um, a, a Calvinist Christian who was um, captured by France in, in the early 1500s, uh, was a slave in a galley ship, learned French by God's providence as a slave, and so when he went to Geneva, they were, he was, they were persecuted out of Scotland, was able to understand Calvin and take the doctrine and, and bring it back to Scotland. He was known, uh, there's a famous prayer that he made, uh, he was a fervent Christian who prayed, Oh, God, give me Scotland or I die. <laughs> um, Mary, Queen of Scots, was the monarch at the time, and she was a Calvinist, uh, wanted to institute Roman Catholicism in Scotland, but she said of Knox, she had met with Knox several times, I fear the prayers of John Knox more than all the assembled armies of Europe. <laughs> and we take, I think we take from that it's part of our Presbyterian legacy, even today, that we want our neighbors to uh, to become Christians. We want to, it's an evangelistic spirit that was of that era. It's a part of our legacy to want others to come to Christ and to pray for them and proclaim the word to them. Now, Drew, do you want to go much farther into I Have England and um, and then founding? Let's take five more minutes. Go ahead. Okay. England is also an important um, part of our story because there it had such a profound impact on the Puritans, and many of the Puritans were Calvinistic. Uh, they had their own. There, the Reformation was starting already before Calvin there, but when the when his institutes came to England, uh, they were they were accepted by many of the reformers there and. The history and, and the government of England is, is, is pretty complicated, so I'm going to just narrow it down, and not that I understand it all, by the way, but uh, into, there was a wonderful breaking of an era. There, the Puritans were persecuted, as you know, even within the Anglican Church. We're not allowed to, to put these reforms in, but there was a window in about 1640 when uh, the Puritans went, came to ascendancy and were not the king had died, and they were able to, to um, have their way within the government. <clears throat> and they called a assembly called the Westminster Assembly. And in that, wanted to create a document that would be a confession. Confession in the sense, not of a, uh, we think of it now as a confession of guilt or of wrongdoing. In the, in the traditional sense, it meant a statement of what the church is and and. Uh, what it believes and what it resolves to do. That's that's what, when you hear about the confessions and so forth, that's what we're talking about. And they wanted to write a confession that would would be applied to all the, the churches of Scotland, Ireland, and England. And in that, they, uh, they pr produced the Westminster Confession of Faith. <clears throat> it's, it's, it's important because it's about 100 years after the death of Calvin and Luther, 
after controversy and, and arguments had settled and some of the truths that they had emerged, especially the gospel of God's grace, uh, were able to um, be dealt with and argued and back and forth. And we know the church advances sometimes by controversy. And it was a determined attempt, attempt to be faithful to the 66 but, um, books of the Bible and to declare uh, in brief summary what it says and, and what we should preach and what we should be doing as Christians. Uh, <clears throat> and it, it's important in our history because it's one of the confessions and has been traditionally the only, but now is one of uh, the many important ones that we as officers in the church must um, say, proclaim will fault be guided by its teachings. So we, we honor that confession and it was, and by many scholars, the best uh, compressed summary of what the Bible teaches and best crystallization uh, ever written. The, the, another, the next part of the story is, is the American uh, part of the early American. We, uh, in, in, in 1606, 1611, Alexander Winneker was the first Presbyterian. That's only a few years after James now. The real story up was north when the Puritans and the uh, Pilgrims were founding Plymouth Colony. They were Calvinistic Christians, and they saw themselves as a mission. They called it the errand in the wilderness. Errand in the Latin sense of a sent. We were being sent. And they saw themselves as being sent by God to proclaim the gospel and to bring the natives, Native Americans to the faith in Christ, as well as to escape religious persecution and to live godly lives according to how they saw the Bible. Uh, up north they figured a congregational form of government, uh, even though they were Calvinistic. So it, it was going to be several decades later that the Presbyterian Church really got established when there was a wave of uh, immigration between 1705 and 1777 of, of Scottish immigrants who were bringing the Presbyterian faith uh, to America. That is why we sort of have a very Scottish flavor to our, to our denomination, at least historically. And the Reverend Francis McAmey, Drew alluded to, who uh, formed the first Presbytery in 1609 and in Philadelphia. Um, that, there were also French Huguenots who were Presbyterians, Dutch, uh, Calvinists, and German who came fleeing persecution and also go and come into the mix in, in the Presbyterian Church in, in America. So, that gets us up to about 1775, um, and I just quickly wanted to summarize these historical events that still shape us today. We have the councils of Nicaea and Chalcedon that define our understanding of Christ and who he is. Um, the turning away of the Church of Rome in around 1215 that led to the Reformation, um, the recovery uh, of the gospel and biblical authority in the Reformation. The formation in the 1540s of the elder-based government by John Calvin. Um, and then the recovery and expansion of a theology that centers on God, also through Calvin and the other reformers. And then six, uh, this development and spread of biblical, biblical theology 
with one of the highlights being the uh, production of the Westminster Confession of Faith, and finally seven, the Presbyterian Immigration of America to Escape Tyranny and to Live Godly Lives in America. Thanks, Scott. Now, I see you just summarized, what, about four, 5,000 years there for you. That's a big bang for um, your uh, for your buck on that. So, thanks, Scott. Thanks, Barbara. Um, we will uh, pick up next week um, in uh, in the Americas, get, go uh, drill a little deeper as we look at the American Presbyterianism, sort of finding out why we got here, what were the important things throughout the last uh, um, couple hundred years that make us who we are um, today. Uh, again, there's uh, other material up here. There's uh, cards. Whenever you have uh, questions you want us to address, uh, um, there's also a gold, golden-topped box in the back. You can put them in there as well, and that will um, lead to either um, what we address in upcoming classes or um, the uh, last class. <coughs> And what, again, what, uh, you know, there are no tests here. Um, for those of you that are thinking about uh, being, uh, becoming members of the church, don't worry, no tests um, on this. But it gives you a little bit of a context as to how and why some of these particular doctrines came up. And we will come back to them when we look at theology. We'll look back, um, review again as to how we got to some of the particular uh, salvation by grace through faith. The, 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 the solas, the onlys. That Scott talked about. We'll dig a little deeper into those as well, um, and uh, some of the other um, particular distinctives that he mentioned um, we'll address. Um, so, feel free to um, come look uh, at these. Uh, if there's something else you want to look into, write those down, and we'll see you next week. Let's uh, pray together. Gracious God, we know uh, anew that you indeed are majestic, you are sovereign over all of the earth, um, that you have us here for um, a, a reason that fulfills your purposes in your kingdom. And uh, we surrender ourselves to you. Um, we indeed want the same fervor of those who have gone before us, um, a fervor to know and follow you and to share your good news um, with others and around the world. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.